0: If you would please open up with me in your bibles to Haggai chapter two we're in the last couple verses i was joking with some of the gentlemen who help us with our technology and live streaming you know if you looked at the end of Haggai you said wow we're there this sermon series is nothing like what i'm used to from jeremiah we're already done well the joke's on you we've still got quite a few weeks because we are also covering Zechariah and Malachi. A few more weeks indeed. The sermon series title that we're kind of coming to an end point on, right? We're, we're continuing on with these, but this is a nice final piece. Haggai, the end of chapter 2. sermon series name is Homecoming and Heart Checks, Serving God in the Present. If you recall, these people are coming home. They're coming home from captivity, from slavery, from being in prison, as it were, away from home. But now that they're there, home is nothing like what it was. And their heart had to be checked. And the Lord began to prick at them and some of their weaknesses. It's actually quite applicable for the church today, which is why we have found ourselves starting in Haggai, but also moving from here. But by way of introduction for this sermon, as I was praying and trying to figure out what words could we do for a conclusion that is really a beginning, uh, as I prayed and as I labored, I began to focus on my own disquiet. I've been disquieted lately. I actually was speaking with Rebecca just this morning about it. I spoke with Ryan, our youth director, about it as well. I spoke with some of my friends this last week, but it reminded me of a story from that great reformer, Martin Luther's time. Martin Luther, the one who nailed that thesis right on the door, Wittenberg, kind of sparked this reformation, the back to the basics, looking to the Bible to see what. God has for us there, instead of just kind of listening to man and hoping he's right. I know, going back to the scriptures, right, the Reformation, but Martin Luther struggled sometimes with disquiet, with spiritual depression, is maybe what he might call it, uh, the, the dark valleys of the soul, and he was struggling quite severely for some time, and one morning his wife, Catherine, tell the story i call her katie like i know her but katie uh, she walks down from their room and she was wearing all black all black with a veil like someone had just died martin luther pastor of a church said you know lord you know who has died i don't know you know is this something that i have missed she said yes husband the way you act jesus has died and he has not risen from the grave he said, don't say something like that. That's that's close to, to blasphemy. You know, we should never speak that way. She said, dear husband, then why are you acting that way? Why are you acting that way? A paraphrase, of course, but we see something there. And it really speaks to this word today. I need this word. And I think that we need this word because we should have a disquiet about us. That's centennial. But it's not just centennial. We should have a disquiet about us in our denomination. But it's not just our denomination. We should have a disquiet about us in the 21st century, capital C, Christian church. Because I am convinced that we are not living as we should after the Lord. And when I feel this disquiet, it's not that I'm looking at others. I'm looking at myself. I'm thinking, man, how do we get there? Listen to this main point that we have today. The Lord giving his word through Haggai to Zerubbabel. God displays his all-encompassing power in justice and grace. And this gives us a template for ministry on earth right now. God displays his all-encompassing power in justice and grace. That gives us a template for ministry now. Let's pray. We'll go to the word. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we do come to you in prayer, asking that you would allow this word to speak and to move and to pierce by the Holy Spirit. Lord, would you quiet our souls? And that if we are not disquieted, if we are comfortable, Lord, I pray that you might make us wiggle not just a little bit, but a whole lot, as we see what it is that we are called to, not to save ourselves, but because of what you are doing, what you have done, and what you will do. Lord, give us all of this in your word now, in Jesus' name, amen. Haggai chapter 2, verse 20 is where we'll begin. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms and of the nations and to overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders shall go down, everyone by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. The grass withers, the flowers fade, the word of the Lord, it stands, it remains forever. May we pay attention to it as it is meant to be. Now remember, God displays his all-encompassing power in justice and in grace. We also see this provides us a template for ministry. Let's walk through it. I think we can get there in three points. First one is shake, second one is take, and the third one is the foundation of love. So first, God tells us that he is about to shake the heavens and the earth. Verses 20, 21, and 22. Built into this shaking of the heavens and the earth are a couple things, a couple realities that we need to begin to acknowledge. I think generally speaking, we do, but we need to remind ourselves of them as God is speaking them. First, as we think about God shaking the heavens and the earth, and of course all those things that come alongside of that, as you saw, destroying those enemies, Going against those who are going against him. All of these things. First, God's justice will not be denied by those going against him. Uh, the Psalms address this quite often. Why do the wicked prosper, right? Why, why are the evil? Why, why are they getting all the goods? And it seems like they're not getting in trouble as much as they need to be, right? I, I, I don't understand. You know, it seems like they're taking advantage uh, ...a little bit too much, right? Where, where's justice? Where's God's justice? God's justice will not be denied. Time and time again in the scriptures... ...God says, I'll use Haggai's words... ...he uses different words elsewhere... ...I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will destroy those who go against me. We see it all over the place... ...and it's not an empty threat. It's not an empty promise... It is a reality that is coming. God's justice will not be denied. God's timing does not nullify God's power and control. God's timing. We were just talking about God's justice. Well, it seems like these evildoers, well, they're, they're kind of getting away with it. Well, God's timing is... It doesn't nullify the power and the control that he has, okay? Uh, this is something that we grapple with all the time because usually God's timing is not our timing, right? We, we prefer something to happen in the moment, right? If I want comfort, I want it now. Right? That's why I'm praying for it. Lord, comfort me. If I, if I want healing, I want it now. I, I'm probably not going to pray, Lord, uh, in seven days' time. You know, would you, would you grant upon me the peace I desire? Or, or something, you know, that, that's, that's really not how we pray, right? We, we're thinking in the moment as we cry out to our God in need. And yet, God's timing is not our own. We see this over and over in scripture, but it does not nullify his power and control. A good example is the homecoming. Uh, God actually promised them the timing. I'm going to come get you in 70 years, right? I'm going to come bring you back. All right. That's my promise. Uh, The people crying out, hanging up their harps. Has God abandoned us? Has God abandoned us? Well, I'm reading in the scriptures one day. I say, oh, it's about time. Right. Daniel says it. It's about time. And God says, you're right. You remembered. (laughs) I promised it. My timing is perfect in this regard. God's timing is always perfect. And so as we think about God's justice and how it will not be denied, these these wicked that, that we feel like are prospering or in reality are, it is but for a moment. Because God's timing does not nullify his power and control. And a homecoming will happen for God's people just as it will happen for God's enemies. I will shake the heavens and the earth. God's power is not always displayed in the way we want, either. <laughs> a good example of this, uh, as we're thinking about justice, uh, these things are connected, right? I hope that y'all are seeing that. We've got this reality of God's justice not being denied, but the wicked we feel like are prospering. Well, that's the timing piece, okay? God's timing is perfect. Uh, it seems as if they are prospering for now, but that is not a, uh, a forever prosper, Uh, That is, in reality, God's timing as they are setting themselves up for destruction. Well, Lord, come down on them hard, right? With the hammer or something like that. You know, we have this concept of what we think God's power should be and how it should be displayed. Lord, uh, sometimes we do it in a positive manner, right? Maybe it's not judgmental. Come down on my enemies with a hammer. Maybe it's uh, in faith. uh, As I was mentioning before, we pray, right? Lord, give me healing now and you know or lord tell me what to do next and i hope that i hope that actually we'll see a plane in the sky and it'll say jeremiah go do this now right and and you'll see it and then once you see it i know you know or maybe i'll maybe i'll wake up and and there will be an angel that would be that would actually be ideal you know just lord give me an angel right And, and we we have this concept of how we feel god should display his power and move it forward but but all throughout Scripture, we must remember that God's power is, is displayed in multitudinous ways depending on the timing and the place. A great example, uh, I'll just use two real quick. Uh, the Red Sea, uh, Moses, as he moved forward, the Lord, uh, on behalf of Moses, poof, parted the Red Sea. And God's people walked across. What a miracle. What a power, Incredible, you know, this dry land. Uh, but, but God's power, if you wanted to think uh, uh, several generations later, as uh, God's people are, uh, uh, are living their lives in the promised land, they've made it 40 years in the wilderness, they make it into the promised land, they've sort of conquered the land, now they're living there. But what happens? The people start to go after their own devices, right? Uh, judges, the judges rule, right? And, and what happens? The Lord gives them over. With God's power, he causes certain groups for instance, the Midianites, right? You think, who are the Midianites? They were a tool in the hand of God to reveal his power as they push into the people's land and subjugate God's people. I don't want that power. I don't want that, right? We want certain types of God's power, but we must recognize that God's power is not always displayed in the ways that we want. I will shake the heavens, and the earth. In all of this, we begin to see God display his all-encompassing power in justice. He shakes the world. He judges those enemies of his. But it's a two-sided coin. Not only does God shake, he also takes and makes those to serve him. This is the first part. Of verse 23. God's all-encompassing power is not only displayed in justice, it's also displayed in grace. Let me read that first part of verse 23. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring. He will take you and make you into that which he desires. God's power being revealed in grace. Let's remind ourselves of a couple things here. Who in the world, first of all, is Zerubbabel? I mentioned that. Children, listen up if you're wondering about Zerubbabel. I tried to name our third-born child Zerubbabel, but Rebecca didn't let me. So we went with a very common name. Carwin. (laughs) Anybody? No? (laughs) Okay. Uh, Who in the world is Zerubbabel? And who cares about a signet ring? Uh, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealkeel. And if you kept going back, you would find King David. And if you kept going forward, you would find King Jesus. And so, whenever you hear Zerubbabel, I think that you should remember three words. David, covenant, and Jesus. Because as David, this Man after God's own heart, this one whom uh, was ruddy in stature, keeping the sheep, right, when, when Samuel comes. This one that God chose brings him in, anoints him, by the way, anoint, Messiah, Christ. Okay, all, all those three things are the same. Okay, anoint, Messiah, Christ. God's Christ. David, okay, his anointed one. And so we see this promise. And what is that promise? You will never have a a lack of someone on the throne from your line, David. I promise you this. You will always have a descendant upon the throne. King Jesus, of course, fulfilling that promise, that covenant from God. We see it all in Zerubbabel. That second part, the signet ring, I won't rehash, okay, unless you just want to try to steal my credit card info or something like that. Um, Social security card as well, that was the one I was forgetting, right, Uh, for us in America, you know, the social security card, that's also built in to the signet ring, but you know, all of that stuff, driver's license, credit card, bank routing, my voice, honor, prestige, all of it, boom, right there, ready to go, ready to rock, the signet ring, and God Zerubbabel is not that, and God says, I will take you and make you that. Very important. Very important. Because in that moment, when God says, I will take and I will make, and it is not in judgment, which is just what we deserve for our own sin and iniquity, when it is something good, when it is something that lasts eternally, life everlasting, we begin to see the vast reality of God's grace towards his people bear out. Remember what grace is? There's a lot of definitions. This is is a pretty good one. Unmerited, undeserved, gift let me give this to you you have done nothing for it (laughs) nothing grace by the way small application when we say grace we thank the lord for giving us the provision that we do not deserve and that we do not merit remember that when you say that blessing that grace next time unmerited undeserved a heart check. Because remember, this is a homecoming and a heart check. I will take you. I will make you. And you do not deserve it. God takes and makes Zerubbabel into an image bearer of salvation because God remembers that promise to David which was his promise to his people which was the full revelation that God would provide his all-encompassing power not only in justice but also in grace that is the provision of a defending and saving king to his people which they did not deserve but God freely gave in other words grace. And it's in the combination of these realities, God's justice and God's grace, where the gospel bears out on the foundation of love. That's our third point, the second part of verse 23. In many ways, all right, listen, this is the third point, the foundation of love ...that we have as we see God's all-encompassing power of justice and grace. We see it both here. And now we've got this this last part of the verse... ...where where I'm telling you there's this foundation of love, okay? And let's, let's think about love for a moment. In many ways, love has been cheapened and exploited by the world today... ...through pleasure points, selling points, and control points... Very quickly, typically, these are, these are not mutually exclusive, okay, and you'll get what I mean. The pleasure point for love, it's obvious. I won't stay on it forever. In 2018, it's three years ago, okay, in 2018, over 40 million Americans regularly visited pornography sites. And that industry made, get this, $3,000 a second. Why don't you do some math? Three years ago, those were the statistics. Pre-pandemic, if I might say, where many were shut up with only their computer. The selling point, though, as we think about love and how the world has cheapened it and exploited it, there's a pleasure point, but there's also a selling point. And you heard that stat, $3,000 a minute, that's nothing, or a second rather, that's nothing compared to the larger schema of what the world has done with love. Because the selling point doesn't only happen in the dark places. Look around you for a moment. When you get home, wherever you're at, uh, today, tomorrow, this week, try to remember this. And look, look at your social media platforms that you're on, news sites, website and on the TV. TV shows, cable or not. Holidays, look around the holidays, including Easter, Christmas. Valentine's Day are some easy ones to see, but Easter's just as easy. Love has been boiled down to a selling point for goods. And clickbait for ad companies. If you don't know what clickbait is, it's when you get tricked into clicking something because it had a catchy title or it had some picture that either tempted you or caught your eye. And then they just made money. It's a selling point. What do you love? Click on it. Let somebody else make money. Without God's illumination, these pleasure and selling points become control points. Without a doubt, this is the worldly thought. This is fact. You can ask people who are in the business, how can I lead, persuade, or trick you? into doing what I want so I can make more money, control the narrative, and make you think you enjoy it when you do it. Ask somebody in the business. It's shocking. But that is what the world has done with this word and this concept, love. But God has shown a real and true way of love. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Jesus says in John 15, verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. How has he loved us? Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. He goes on to say in verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you. God displays his all-encompassing power in justice and grace And this is ultimately seen in the gospel of Jesus Christ, where it is plain to see a choice made to fulfill the justice of God that would allow the extension of the grace of God at the very same time. Though the world rages against it, love is based upon the foundation of choice. I did not fall in love with Rebecca, my wife. I chose to love her. And I choose to love her. Every single day. That is the foundation of Christian marriage because it is what God has revealed about love. What is marriage? But a revelation of Christ in the church. The mystery is profound, Paul says. But it is Christ in the church. Jesus chose his people. He chose the path he walked, and he walked it in humility, not counting equality with God a thing to be grasped. He loosened that grip, humiliated himself, and came to earth that he might save his own. He called us friends. That's God that we're talking about. That's the gospel. And that's the foundation of love. Because that justice, we deserve the wrath of God. We sin and we fall short of the glory of God. And even if we think we're perfect, we still have that corruption to deal with. Of that first father, Adam, and that fall from grace. But don't worry. I hate to break this if you didn't know this. You're not perfect. And neither am I. We have fallen short. And Jesus took that. It's the gospel. And it's this gospel reality seen here. Even in Haggai 2, 20 through 23... Maybe somewhere you haven't been recently in any devotion. Which shows us God's all-encompassing justice and grace. And that gives us this ministry template for the here and the now. And it's not complicated. Here's the template. Urgency translated to action and understanding translated to witness. Urgency into action, understanding into witness. We must have an urgency about us that translates into action because God's shake is coming. Jesus tells us in His Word to stay awake. He is coming. God says He's going to shake. He is coming. We must, as the people of God, have an urgency that leads us into action. But I would ask you here at Centennial, Those at first prayers. What are we doing? What are we doing? I've got ministers here. The presbytery level. Synod level. Our whole denomination. What are we doing? And I'm not talking about picking up trash. We could pick up trash. I'm not talking about just delivering some donuts. Everybody can deliver donuts. Do we feel in the depths of our souls the urgency of the reality that God is going to shake the heavens and the earth and that there are those outside the fold? Or do we really not care? Are we really that heartless? Because that's the second part of the call to action. The ministry template. There must be an urgency to action. But just urgency and just a desire to act. That doesn't get you there, right? We must have an understanding of God. And his work that can translate into witness. The pastor preaching on Sunday is no excuse for a Monday through Saturday sharing of the gospel from each of us who believe in the Lord Jesus, including myself. This is worship of God, and we praise him for his word. His word is applicative for us now. It stirs us. But do we have the understanding to speak of God? Even to those that believe. I've made this application before. When's the last time you said Jesus out loud that wasn't a curse? When's the last time you've spoken the fullness of the gospel? It doesn't have to be like what I said. When's the last time you just spoke the gospel out loud? In the family? By yourself? Man, it's convicting But we must have an urgency that translates into action. And that action and urgency must be undergirded by an understanding that leads to witness. Why do we have Bible studies? Why do we meet and gather around the word? Why has God given us his word? If not to know him more and to see his work and to share that work as Jesus Commanded. He didn't ask. He commanded. But we fall into sin. And it freezes us and it tears me apart. Because there are people who need to hear the word. And Centennial has a different set of people than Arsenal Hill, has a different set of people than First Press has a different set of people than King's Church, has a different set of people than IBL, has a different set of people than Edwards Memorial, has a different set of people than Crossings Community, has a different set of people than Grace Prez, has a different set of people than Roan, has a different set of people than... And it keeps going, right? Because God has allowed us here at Centennial relationships that other people don't have, and they never will, but you do. And we must be those who have an urgent desire... To share the gospel if not it's over period because god said he will shake the heavens and the earth he also said that he will take and make a person that will reveal to us how we might move forward we do have a choice by the holy spirit he does the work but we do have a choice our desires lead us down a righteous path but it is easy to fall into sin very easy scary easy Which is why we come and worship. Which is why we gather together. Which is why we sometimes quiver and shake and say, Lord, thank you, like I did, for getting me from Saturday to Sunday here. It's a bigger miracle than we might think. And so we got to hold fast. And we got to have an urgency and an understanding that translates into action and witness we've got to get there and I'm telling you we are not there pray with me for our church pray with me for our denomination pray for the Lord's work beyond us but we must pray we must do it let's pray Heavenly Father Lord indeed we do ask you that you would stir in us and wake us up and move us with an urgency that you might give us understanding, that you might help us in the sharing of the gospel, that you might give us opportunity. Lord, I pray you would give us opportunity this week and that we might bear witness to you. Help us not to be those who run away from the opportunity to share the good news of the gospel that we believe has saved our soul from eternal damnation, eternally in your presence. God, help us to remember the cosmic things, the eternal things, the things of you. God, help us and save us and keep us and work through us.